Good morning. Good morning, Grace. How are y'all? How are y'all doing? Good? Because I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Doing great. I really, I'm, I'm, I am feeling awesome lately. Uh, and some of it maybe is a contrast. Last more than a year, I just have not felt all that good. I haven't felt the closeness of God. And I, I really enjoy the feeling of, of God's intimacy with me in my daily life, just walking and talking with him. And that's been missing for um, about 16 months. And, and then, um, well, what a, I just, a gap, something happened. But you know what? Doesn't matter how I feel, does it? Does not matter one bit how I feel. Because God is near. Because he said he is. He's, he promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so for the last year and four months, I've been getting up and doing what I do because my faith is not clinging to feelings to, to justify it. Living by faith is living as though the promises of God are true. That's reasonable. Living as though the promises of God are true, not how you feel. And so while the last 16 months have not been good to feel, it, they haven't affected the truth of God's promise to be near. Lately, it's been awesome. <laughs> I feel great. I feel his intimacy with me on a regular basis. But his position in my life hasn't changed. Living by faith is living as though the promises of God are true. That's one of those promises. Last week, we looked at Abram or Abraham's life, and we looked at that. We're looking at him even this week as well. If you'll turn in your Bibles, if you want to do that and follow along, Genesis chapter 17 He's the father of the faith, it's called. And he, we, we learn a lot about living by faith. Last week, we, we learned about what salvation faith looks like. And this week, I want us to see how a living faith shows itself in the father of faith. Genesis chapter 17 through 22 will be that living faith. Let me just review, because it's all part of this bigger story of Abraham's life. The... He, it starts with his name being Abram, first of all. And in Genesis chapter 12, God interrupts his life and says, I'm going to, he says, first of all, he says, leave and go to this promised land for you. And I promise you this, I promise you an heir and the heir will become a nation. I promise you land, the, the promised land. And I promise that one of those heirs will crush the curse and all the nations will be blessed by one of those descendants. The problem is, is that Abraham is, Abram's 75 years old and his wife is barren. And the point is that God is going to have to miraculously allow this to happen. Her barrenness is the key. It brings us hopelessness. Here's a great quote from a scholar who says, the barrenness of Sarah or Sai is in effect a metaphor of hopelessness. The text tells us here that there is no foreseeable future. The human race and human history has just come to a dead end. It's over. And then God speaks. And then there's hope again. Are you hopeless? That's a great place to be. That's, the, that's a good place. In, in this story of salvation faith, he had to become hopeless. But, but this week, I want to show you that in living faith, it's the same thing. When we're becoming like Christ in all of life, what area of your life needs to become like Christ? A character trait, an attribute, a habit. Have you gotten to the place in your life where you are hope, 
less to change. Only God could fix this. That's the place God wants to get you because unless you're hopeless in this area, it, he's trying to make, you were trying to make room for a spiritual intervention. So look how Abraham's life here is our life when we live a life of faith, getting to this place of God help us. That's what happens in Genesis chapter 12. He's 75. Last week we saw God interrupts again. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. He's, not, he's 85. It's 10 years later. He has no heir. He has no real estate. All he has is doubt. And so God comes to him and says, what are you doubting? What's in the theme of that particular chapter of doubt is, I doubt that I'll ever have this real estate, this promised land that you promised. And so the theme of that chapter is God says, well, let me help you have hope and memory of my promise by giving you, you have real estate doubts. He gives him a real estate contract, a real estate covenant. God cuts a covenant in like of the real estate covenants of the day. And so he promises again this, uh, this attribute of God giving him this land. Only God can do this. And what's great in the story that we looked at last week, only God signed the real estate covenant. Abram slept through it. And that is a picture of salvation covenant. The Bible will be using that particular story as the definition of salvation covenant because that covenant is unilateral, only God did it, unconditional and irrevocable. Abram didn't make a promise. Abram received the promise. He believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's the point. Now we're in Genesis chapter 17. God visits again. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Abram is 99 years old. And he has a lot of doubts about having an heir because he is still childless in the context of his marriage. So this is where we pick it up in 17, verses 1 and 2. It says this. Who's going to reverse the curse? Who's going who's to bring hope to this, the fallen world? And Abram was 99 years old, and Yahweh appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will, and, and will greatly increase your numbers. Let me, as we go through this covenant renewal here, I want you to see a few things. First of all, this is the first time God has a name change. He introduces himself as, and Yahweh said, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai, El Shaddai. And when he, Abram read that, he would know that that means not the creator of all things. He's that. El Shaddai means I am in control of all things. I don't submit to the laws of nature. I am in control of the laws of nature. I overpower nature. So he, God shows himself first time it's used in the Bible, El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. As we go through, it's going to be a covenant renewal, but listen for these things. Because God will say nine times in this chapter, my covenant. God's the one making the covenant. And I want you to listen for who's doing the work here. This covenant will not be a, a reaffirmation of the real estate part, but rather the heir part. He doesn't have a son. Who will do the work? Let's see. El Shaddai. Chapter 17, 3 through 7 now. And Abram fell face down and, said, and God said to him, as for me... This is my covenant with you. I will be, you will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. 
I have made you a father of nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after. Skip down a little bit. And then God also said to Abraham, he has a new name, and for Sarai, your wife is no longer to be called Sarai. Her name is Sarah. I will bless her and, and, and will surely give, her, give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be a mother of all nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Do you see the big idea here, the point? God Almighty, El Shaddai, has entered the equation, and he will provide this. And Abraham's like, I don't understand. I, I, I'm 99. Help my unbelief. Just like last week in Genesis chapter 15, God is going to help Abraham's unbelief. He does that in two different ways. The first way is he changes his name. He knows a new name about God. God has a new name. Now Abram has a new name. His name will be Abraham. Abraham, the father of nations, the father of multitudes. And your wife, no longer Sarai, but rather Sarah, the mother of nations, the maker of kings. Why? Why? Why the name change? Because every time his, his faith is fading, each time he finds himself forgetful of the promises of God, Someone says his name. Hey, Abraham. Wait, what? <laughs> and your wife, Sarah. Wait, I just introduced her as Sarah. Yeah, she's the mother of nations. She's the giver of queens. Wow. That is constant. If you can imagine, like, how does, he, how does he say this? Can you imagine the first time he has this conversation with people? Some scholars would say he has, I don't know, 650 kind of employees at this time. He's a man of great wealth. So he has the big corporate meeting in the warehouse, right? 99 years people have been calling him Abram. And he says, okay, new name tags for me and the wife. Call me Abraham because I'm the father of many nations. And she, she's the giver of kings. So on the one hand, it must have been startling. Okay, how, many, how long did it take people to say, Abram. No, I mean, I'm sorry, Abraham, boss, Abraham. But each time, mind you, they're without a child. And so they're kind of snickering. Yeah, father of nations. <laughs> Good for you. Keep on hoping there, bro. And they're doing that, right? And, but, but here's a great quote. Here's a great quote. He says, God's promise renewed to Abraham through every man who addressed him until, until at length the child of the promise was laying upon his lap saying, Abba, Father, Abraham, Daddy. Now Abraham's laughing. God helps Abraham in his doubt and his wife Sarah by renaming them. You call me God Almighty and I'll call you Abraham. I'll call you Sarah. I will keep my promises. What a gift from God. What a gift. We do that sometimes, right? With our nicknames back and forth to our loved ones. That's a good thing to do. God does this as well. The, uh, the other way he helps is not just in a name change, but through the covenant ritual of circumcision. Watch this. 
verse 9 through 13. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born to your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether they're born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be ever an everlasting covenant. This is the ritual of circumcision. Yeah, it's Circumcision Sunday. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> Jim Gaffigan is a comedian, and he kind of animates this conversation with God when Abraham hears this and says, circumcision, that's Hebrew for ow. <laughs> Can't, he's like, he negotiates with God. Can I just like give up bacon or something? God says, yeah, you're going to do that too. <laughs> that must have been some meeting in the warehouse. Call me Abraham and men, I'm going to meet with you later. <clears throat> All of you. Why circumcision? Why circumcision? Because the covenants are related to the promise. So the Noahic covenant is a rainbow because rainbow is related to the promise, I will not flood the earth again and judge man in that way. In Genesis chapter 15, we saw that Abraham had doubts about his real estate promise. So God gives him a real estate covenant. That's the kind of covenant he cut. And so this one, he's cutting a covenant again, and it has to do with an heir. It's about reproduction. And so the promise is about reproduction. So the covenant sign is about reproduction. That's why. What does it mean, this, this ritual of circumcision? Why does God have him do this and every descendant after that? This is their identity. This is hugely important to understand the Jewish nation. Because in this ritual of circumcision, it says... You belong to God. God is saying, you belong to me. For It says forever. I'm making an everlasting covenant with you and your, and your descendants. But from, from a human perspective, it says this. The existence of Israel is miraculous. The very existence of Israel is miraculous. From this day forward, in the darkest times of whatever this Jewish person is going for, every act of reproduction, every trip to the bathroom is a reminder that God intervened in the life of a man named Abram, changed his name to Abraham to remind him that he would be the father of a great nation, that his first heir would be a miracle. And one of those descendants would be, would be the one who would crush the curse. Every time that sort of thing happened, they're reminded that a 99-year-old, a man without hope, has a new identity as being the chosen one to be the father of nations and his wife, the giver of kings. In Israeli history, Israel, listen to this, Israeli history begins with the suspension of the laws of biology. And for 4,000 years, They've, they've practiced this expression, circumcision. 
And for 4,000 years, when their, when their nationality was lost because they lost their land, when they've been spread out through all the world, they would always remember this. We are God's people. Men weren't circumcised in, until this time. And they still are today for this very purpose. On the eighth day of a young boy's child's life, he's circumcised. And the whole family says, we belong to God. We started by El Shaddai sending his power into the dark hopelessness of, of the womb of Sarah and in the life of, of, of Abraham. Every dark place has this reminder that El Shaddai in ex nihilo, out of nothing, causes a nation to be birthed. It's a great way to remember God wants us to remember his promises. And we practice a lot of covenants that way, right? Our, our, our marriage covenant, quite often we have a wedding ring attached to that. I know people that have really righteous tattoos on their bodies so that when they see those, they're reminded of God's promises that they received, not the promise they made to God. Last week, we celebrated a covenant ritual, communion, the Lord's table. One of our rituals, our covenant renewals is baptism right? Baptism. It's an expression. It's a visual of what's happening to us spiritually. And so we are, we died with Christ. We're put under the water and we are raised with Christ. That's why we do that. Because in dark times, in, in places of doubt, when we're wondering if God is good or if we can stay there, right? We go, oh wait, I was baptized on that day. I was crucified with Christ and I still am. If you've never been baptized, there's a little box on your bulletin. Fill out your name. Check the box. I want to get baptized next time we do that around here. And I, I, can I tell you, don't complain. Don't complain. Because Abraham might hear you. And if he hears you say, I'm afraid of a little water and I don't want to get baptized, he's going to come down here and talk to you. Because he got circumcised at 99. There's other ways to remember, harder ways. Abraham's response is classic to the father of faith. He immediately responds all the way, right away, all the way. That's the definition of obedience. Look what he does in chapter 17, verse 23. On that very day, he's going to say it twice. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those who were born in his household and bought that he had bought with money, every male in the household, and circumcised him as God told him. He just does what he's told. Verse 24, it says, and then Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born into his household and or bought that were foreigners, they were circumcised as well. That's what living by faith looks like. Right away, all the way. Again, I told you last week was about salvation faith. This is about living by faith. Why does God wait? He comes to Abraham at, 70, at 75. Isn't that old enough? Right? They can't have a child. His wife is clearly barren. Then he comes at 85. Still old and time is no right, a friend to this promise of having children. Still nothing. 99 years old. Why wait an extra 24 years? Hopeless, wringing out every bit of hope that he might have that there's any other way but a miraculous intervention by, except by God Almighty. Bruce Walkie paints it quite beautifully like this. He's an Old Testament scholar. 
His body had become dried up like a dried up tree without sap. And Sarah's womb at 90 years of age had become like a wilted flower. This offspring clearly depends on the author of life, the author of life who raises the dead. That's the point. This is impossible for me, but not impossible for El Shaddai. And so when we look at our lives, when we're becoming like Christ in all of life, and we find that attribute of Christ that we can't have, that we can, it seems impossible to us, good, you're close. Use those words. It's impossible. Become hopeless. You can't change this. But El Shaddai can't. He gave us the Spirit because the Spirit can do it. We have to depend on a miracle. This is what it's like to live by faith. We, we thank God for the gifts he's given us. Sometimes, you know, in an area of strength. And then we pray to God that we can go through a 24-hour period that he could cause us to overcome that area in our life where we're powerless. Let me give you a simple example, okay? As a a child or a high school student going from class to class, he starts his day and ends his day like this. Dear God, I am so grateful that you made me good at math. I hope I can shine and and show you glory in math. And then after math, I'm going to Spanish. Oh, dear God, I don't have a chance in Spanish. I, don't, I, I can't do foreign languages. So, dear God, could you make that happen in me? See? Area of strength you thank God for. He gave you that. Area of weakness you depend upon him. And so it, you could say in your morning devotions, dear God, you, you made me a kind and tender-hearted person towards others, and I'm grateful. I'm looking for opportunities. But, but dear God... Help me be a courageous truth teller. Help me be the person that steps in and brings light to things. Could you, I'm as, I'm as barren as Sarah or, Ab, or Sarah E or Abram. El Shaddai, would you come and make me Abraham? Make me Sarah. Do what you only can do. You can thank God. Dear God, thank you. I'm by nature your gift as a disciplined person. But God, I can become so judgmental and, and incompassionate. And could you make me compassionate and not so judgmental? Because I can't do that. I'm as barren as Sarai or as hopeless as Abram. But you, El Shaddai, could make me like Abram, the father of nations. Or Sarah, the giver of kings. Make me like that. That's how you live by faith, bringing yourself to this place of hopelessness where you say only God can make this happen. And that's what happens. That's how one lives by faith, dependence upon God, grateful for things he gives us by our, his gifts to us, and then absolutely daily dependent on another 24 hours of his miraculous intervention. He is God Almighty. That's what's happening in this story. Genesis chapter 21 Isaac is born. Know this. It was and had to be a circumcised Abraham that would impregnate Sarah. It would have to be because that's a God baby right there. That's a miracle. Isaac, his name means laughter. And at 100 years old, Abraham is calling his son. Come here, laughter. Sit on your daddy's lap. I'm the father of nations. Come here, laughter. Now who's laughing? 
All the saints are laughing. And so there you have it in his story, the father of faith. This is what faith looks like, giving up, giving it over, and having God's spirit work in our souls to make us like Christ in all of life. Boom. But that's not the end of this story. And that is not the climax of Abraham's spiritual journey. Because in Genesis chapter 2, God invades his life again. Chapter 22, verse 1, God says, Abraham, here I am, Lord. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one that you love, and go. Go to Moriah and sacrifice him to me. Isaac is probably, he might be 13 to 20 years old at this time. And it says that Abraham did what Abraham does all the way right away. The very next morning he wakes up and he goes on a three-day three journey from his place of residence to Mount Moriah. He's going to take his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loves. And the way, the way this order comes down is very similar. It's supposed to remind you of the first order that Abram, Abram gets in Genesis chapter 12, where he says, leave your homeland and go to the promised land. And Abram did that. And now he's saying, leave. In that, he was saying, leave your past. This time, God's saying, now leave your future. Give me Isaac. You trusted me enough to bless you. Now trust me enough to give me that blessing back. This is a heart-wrenching story. I'm afraid I don't have time. But, but Abraham, in this journey, what's strategic, what's interesting, what's important for all of us here is that in that three-day walk, Abraham has to work through the paradox of these two what would appear to be contradictory truths. One, that this son of mine, Isaac, the one I love, he is the fulfillment, the promise that God made. This is my heir. God said so. Two, I will sacrifice him because that's, I do what I'm told. And then I'm going to do that. And so I don't know how God is going to get himself out of this fix. And so for three days, he's wondering, how are these two contradictory statements, facts, are going, how are they going to align? And in Hebrews, we go to the, we're cheating. We find out what's going on in his soul. Hebrews chapter 11 says, and by faith, Abraham, when, he was test, when God tested him, offered Isaac up as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice the one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And this is the math of faith. And then Abraham reasoned that God would raise him from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did. He received Isaac back from death. In a three-day journey, Abraham, by faith, realizes the only way this is going to happen, God fulfills his promise, and Isaac to be sacrificed, is if God raises him from the dead. Please understand this. There was no such word as resurrection. He invents a word because it's the only way he can make sense out of this. 
He reasoned that God would bring Isaac back from the dead. Doubt, doubt is the pathway to a greater and deeper faith. Doubt is the pathway to a greater and deeper faith. When you have doubts, listen, when you have doubts, don't run from them. Don't be embarrassed about them. Don't shy away from them. Go after them. God says this. Jesus says this literally in the New Testament. Come and see. Come and see. Come on, let's I would put it this way. Ever seen this? God Almighty saying, come on, let's wrestle. Let's go. Let's talk about it. Let's just wrestle with this. And they'll see what happens on the other end of it. From 1990 to 1992, I wrestled with God about his sovereignty. Kind of believe most of that, but was he good? Sovereign and good. And what instigated it was the birth of our first child. And I was finding myself compulsively controlling all circumstances and situations because I wanted to make sure he was going to be safe. And the reason I had to do that was because I didn't think God would. I'd been around long enough to know that not everybody lives a full and happy life. And being a pastor doesn't help. (laughs) I've seen what happens to missionary kids. And I thought, all right, I love this boy. And so I will protect this boy. And I realized I doubt God's sovereign goodness. And so I set out to continually think about nothing else and fight with this. I was going to wrestle with God on this. And so I read as many books as I possibly could. I interviewed scholars. I interviewed some counselors. I interviewed some saints that have been around for a while. Everything I watched for entertainment, it was pushing this. I'm crying during movies because it's like, it's about God being good and sovereign. It culminated in this. This is an inside thing I can't explain, but it culminated on me riding a retreat for the, I was the youth pastor then, and it was called Who Has the Con? And the theme of the retreat was the book of Job. We kind of lived the book of Job through Jean-Luc Picard from Star Trek. You kind of had to have been there, okay? You had to have been there. But Who Has the Con? That was a Star Trek movie. Who Has the Control? That's what it means. Who has the control? And that retreat, I love that retreat because it settled everything for me. I, was, I, I worked through it. I wrestled with God and prevailed. And it was peaceful. And I thank God for that because once I resolved that he was sovereign and in control and has a plan, but he's also good, then I could release my life and my precious things to him. I went to Moriah with my child and other children. And when, mercy, when, when terrible things would happen to me later on, misery and suffering came and rang my doorbell, what was great in that was that I had already made the decision about the attribute of God. This is the name of God, El Agape, the God of love. And so when those moments came to me, I found myself not running from God or shaking my fist and how dare you, how could this happen? I was running towards God and feeling this intimacy and weeping with him in those times of need. So here's the invitation from the book of Genesis from the author of faith, Abraham. You have doubts on the attributes of God, any particular one in mind? Come and see. Wrestle with him. 
God, Yahweh, has been wrestling with saints for 10,000 years. He'd love a couple rounds. Let him have a shot at it. Abraham takes Isaac, takes him to the altar, and before he fulfills, he loads up Isaac with the wood. He's carrying the wood up, and Abraham's carrying the torch, and Isaac says, we have a wood and the torch, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide, God will provide a sacrifice. They get to the top of the mountain and Abraham does what Abraham does. He's starting to fulfill his promise to keep with, in obedience to, uh, to God. And before that takes place, God comes in again. Same kind of announcement except repetitious. Abraham, Abraham twice. I'm here, Yahweh. He says, now I know that you fear God and you withhold nothing. And then he provides, and so this follows verse 14. And so Abraham called the place, Yahweh will provide, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of that mountain, the Lord will provide. God provided. He took his eyes off of Isaac. Isaac is set free, and he finds a ram caught in the thatch, and then he sacrifices the, the ram. God provided just like he said. Abraham finishes that story with, I am Abraham, and I have no other gods before me. The blessings of God are not idols in my life. I'm free. I am free. It's a beautiful story. God finishes after that event. He finishes with another promise, another fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And he says, I swear by my own name that I will bless you with many descendants. And one of those descendants will be a blessing to eternity, all men for eternity. Boy, that's a good story. But it's not over. Sometimes it takes a thousand years 2,000 years to tell a really good story. And that's how the story goes. It continues. In 1,000 years from when Abraham attempts to offer Isaac on Mount Moriah, the mountain that provides, on that mountain where Yahweh provides, Solomon will build the tabernacle on that very mountain range. And 1,000 years later, people are bringing, and the Lord provides a sacrifice, and the Lord provides a sacrifice, and the Lord provides a sacrifice. And 1,000 years after Solomon's temple, 2,000 years after Abraham's event with Isaac at Mount Moriah, this happened. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, Jesus, whom he loved. And his son carried the wood up that, at that, up that mount. It was a cross. And then when it was time for the angel of the Lord to intervene, there was silence. The father didn't say anything. And the son was slaughtered. His die, one of his last words were, my, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Mount Moriah. There will be no substitutes that day. Because on that day, the Lord did provide. He provided the only way to fix what we broke. It was the only way that it could be fixed. We are hopeless. 
And so El Shaddai and El Agape, the God of love, sends that. So that we could know this to be true, that God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he is loving. God would like each and every one of you to leave the auditorium with this, to resolve this, that he is a sovereign, loving God. For God Almighty so loved the world that he gave his only son, how will he not also with him freely give you all the things that you need? He is a good, good God. Would you resolve that today so you can enjoy the presence of God when you don't feel it in times of darkness, in times of hopelessness? Could you remember this covenant that he made to Abraham and you? That's the story that we're to live our lives with. Let's pray. Lord, that you would, um, that you would do this, that you would share this beautiful story of Abraham's journey so that we might find ourselves not alone on this path of faith. The path of faith is filled with a doubt. And doubt is the same path that leads to a deeper, more transcendent, existential, fulfilling faith. So, Lord, I'd ask that we would courageously come and wrestle with you so we might find ourselves on the other side of your goodness, a resolve that we don't understand your sovereign plan. We don't agree with it mostly, but you are in control. And in that control, you never stop being loving. You're a good, good father. You are El Agape, the God of love. Lord, I'd ask that men and women, boys and girls that are here today would resolve in their heart who you are and what you've done. That they would come, become hopeless like they are hopeless or have been hopeless in their salvation and gave themselves over so that they, they might receive forgiveness, that they would be hopeless in these struggles in life so that they might see you, El Shaddai, God Almighty, step in and for just a day, make them kind or courageous or caring or selfless so that they might please you and honor you with their very choice all the way, right away. We pray we could be a people like that. In Jesus' name, amen.